Hello everyone and welcome back to SciSection. I'm Halima, your journalist for this week, and today we are delighted to have Dr. Stephen Taylor. Dr. Taylor is a psychiatry professor at the University of British Columbia. He also focuses on anxiety disorders in both the academic and clinical setting and studies psychology of pandemics, which is really relevant today. Dr. Taylor also serves as a member of the Government of Canada's COVID-19 expert panel, and he has published several books and articles in this field. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much, Halima. Alrighty, so just so our audience can get uh, to know a bit more about you, as a widely published author yourself, what is the best book you've ever read? Oh, wow. <laughs> Where to start? I really couldn't say. There are so many books. Um, and it also depends. Best book for um, what topic and, and so forth. I really couldn't say there isn't one that stands out for me. I've, I'm also a really avid book lover myself, and I don't think I could ever pinpoint a particular book. So now that we're kind of in the topics of pandemics, which quarantine hobby do you still keep up now? I guess hiking, uh, scuba diving when I can, uh, underwater photography, those sorts of things I, I try to keep up with, but I've been so busy during the pandemic, I haven't been able to pursue them as often as I would have liked to. And lastly, because you're in British Columbia right now, what part of British Columbia is your most frequently visited or favorite location? Um, currently, uh, well, the past year or so, we've been doing some short trips to the Gulf Islands off the coast of Vancouver Island, which have been very pretty, great for a getaway, lots of nature, hiking and so forth. That's awesome. That British Columbia is so beautiful. I would love to visit someday as well. So now kind of getting into your kind of field, you've authored over 300 scientific publications and more than 20 books related to psychology. So it's obviously kind of your field of expertise. Where did this interest begin? I, I guess as a as a kid, um, we used to do a lot of spearfishing. Some of the people we went spearfishing with were um, psychiatric workers, psychiatrists, um, psychiatric nurses, and they would talk to me about the sorts of things that they would do and the sorts of patients they would encounter and the clinical problems they would have to deal with. And I got fascinated in that. And I thought that psychology sounded quite interesting. Then I remember um, as a, a freshman, just before entering first year university at Melbourne, we all were asked to go and talk with student counselors. And I remember this long haired hippie guy who was responsible for interviewing me. And he, he told me under no uncertain terms, should I uh, major in psychology? He said, don't do it, you'll never get a job. And I took that as a challenge and, and went ahead and majored in psychology and became a psychologist. I don't know what happened to the hippie dude, but I hope he's happy somewhere doing some kind of hippie thing. <laughs> and you most definitely prove him wrong. So that's good. So now kind of going into some of your books and things, your most recent book, The Psychology of Pandemics, was published, was published several weeks before the outbreak of COVID-19. Why did you release this book when you did? And were you kind of shocked when the World Health Organization announced the novel coronavirus just a few weeks later? I thought a pandemic was coming, uh, but I didn't realize it was coming so soon. So the backstory is a uh, part of my research and clinical work involves uh, health anxiety, which is a shorthand term that we use for excessive worry or anxiety about one's health. Now, a moderate degree of anxiety is adaptive and healthy. It gets you to the doctor when you notice something wrong and so forth. But people with excessive health anxiety, they become so overwhelmed with anxiety that they're unable to function. So as that background in 2018 was the centenary of the so-called Spanish flu. And there were lots of media interviews with historians of medicine and virologists and other disease experts. And they were talking about the Spanish flu and also talking about the 
the next pandemic. So 2018, there was a lot of media attention talking about the next big one. And that got me interested. And the more I looked into it all and read about it, the more I realized that pandemics were, to a large extent, psychological phenomena, where the behavior of people determines whether or not um, a, a disease is spread throughout the world and, and whether or not people agree to uh, engage in disease containment measures like social distancing. So I realized that, I realized there's a huge psychological cost to pandemics, particularly pandemics with lockdown, which profoundly affect the mental health of many people. And thirdly, and most importantly, I realized that no one had ever put all this together in a book to explain the psychology of pandemics as far as we knew it, and to explain why it was important. Uh, early 2019, I finished the book and I sent it to my publisher who'd been publishing my previous books. He looked at it and he rejected it. He said, well, um, that's an interesting idea, but no one's going to want to read this book. <laughs> I, I felt really um, disheartened. I thought he was wrong. I thought, no, no, this is really important. So I found another publisher and you know, the, the rest is history. As they say, the book was published a few weeks before uh, COVID was first identified in Wuhan. And were you kind of shocked when the coronavirus was announced just a few weeks later? Did you feel like you had some really lucky timing in terms of kind of everything that was going on around the world? Obviously, COVID's not a lucky thing, but in terms of releasing this book and then having it be so readily connected to what was happening in the world. It was a surreal experience. It's one thing to spend a lot of time sitting at your desk writing about something. You know, for example, to be immersed in the Middle Ages, reading about and writing about how people grappled with plague at the time and things like panic buying and, and racism and fleeing and things like that. So it's one thing to, to spend all your time in the dusty archives reading about it. It's a completely different experience to actually watching it unfold before your eyes in real time. So that was what it was like for me in um, early or late 2019, early 2020. I was watching COVID-19 unfold in the same way that past pandemics had unfolded. And uh, it, it was a really weird, weird experience to watch all the things that the science uh, has taught us to predict unfold. At one point, I remember in early 2020 thinking, well, we've seen panic buying, we've seen the rise of racism, we've seen anticipatory anxiety, we've seen all those socially disruptive events. I thought, well, what about the rise of altruism? Altruism was a big feature in past outbreaks. In fact, uh, in past outbreaks, altruism tended to be more common than bad behavior like looting and, and, um, and riots and so forth. So early 2020, I'm sitting here going, well, maybe this pandemic is different. Maybe there won't be altruism. Wouldn't that be unfortunate? But then a few weeks later, the 7 p.m. cheer for healthcare workers started up. And I was quite gratified that at least that aspect of past pandemics had been carried through to COVID-19. That is actually quite incredible just to think about how the past kind of is mimicking the present and yet we kind of find it difficult to learn lessons from the past because we think everything is so different today but as you mentioned there are so many similarities. Commonly we associate pandemics with kind of the biology or the virology of the disease itself and how we treat it, how it spreads and that sort of thing which has been a large focus um, online and the media especially. And your book really links psychology with pandemics. So why do you think that connection so rarely made as you kind of elaborated a bit on before is also so important? Uh, it's really interesting. Why hadn't anyone talked more about the importance of psychology? Well, historians had done it and done it well, but they'd, they'd done it as far as historians could do it. They weren't psychologists. They could describe psychological phenomena, but they weren't able to interpret the motivations and so forth around them. So there had been some forays into the, the psychology of pandemics. 
I, I blame psychology and psychologists. Maybe it's our fault for not looking into this problem and saying, hey, this is a psychological problem. We should prepare for it. I know psychologists have been spending a lot of time on, this, on uh, issues around climate change, which is going to be a huge problem for us to grapple with in the coming years and decades ahead. But it is sort of surprising that my fellow psychologists hadn't got up there and said, hey, we, we need to look at the psychology of pandemics. So um, I really can't uh, explain the oversight, except to say that human beings tend to be myopic. We tend to focus on problems immediately in front of us. So, for example, you know, people are thinking about climate change right now because they think it's an immediate problem. If we went back to early 2019 and I said to people, oh, we should be thinking about pandemics, People, and indeed, I spoke to people in early 2019 about this very issue because I was working on my book. They said, oh, oh, this is nothing for us to worry about. These are once in a lifetime events. It will never happen to us. We don't even need to think about it. And, and this is the reason why my former publisher rejected the book. It, it was myopia. It was short-sighted. It was saying what problems are immediately in front of us that we need to address and let's ignore the rest. And, and this isn't unique to, to our epoch. It happened during uh, after the Spanish flu as well, where in 1920, people stopped wearing masks. They forgot the lessons they learned about that flu. They just went on to the roaring 20s and, and, and look, focused on things immediately in their lives. So I guess that reflects part of human nature. We tend to focus on what's right in front of us that we have to deal with right now. And like you said, in several ways, this pandemic is eerily similar to the many we've had in human history. And so despite these similarities um, and despite their existence, we struggled this time with public health measures, conspiracy theories, all that sort of thing this time around. You think that was a result of, you know, myopathy, as you mentioned, or something else that causes us to not really connect to our history in the present day? And was it because, you know, the disconnect between scientists and politicians, scientists and leaders? Why do you think we were not able to learn from the past when everything is so eerily similar, as you know, we've repeatedly been mentioning? I guess we, we, we live in a very forward focused society where we're looking for the, the next upgrade of software or the next technological toy. We, we don't look too much to the past. We, we look to the future. And that's who we've become. Uh, we've become enamored to technology to do that. And you add that to the rising anti-science attitude in communities uh, where people become suspicious of science or frightened of science or don't understand science because it's too complicated. And so for, for those people, science becomes like magic or superstition. Um, and so for some individuals, they discount science. And that provides a background that can make the managing of pandemics like COVID-19 even more challenging. And lastly, we've experienced many waves with this pandemic. Now we have newer variants, rising cases, protests outside hospitals, and we may not be seeing that light at the end of the tunnel that we'd really hoped for so soon. How would you recommend people approach this new wave positively, especially since lockdown began and well, ever since lockdown began, we've been seeing an increase in mental health issues. Obviously, it's kind of a loaded question to say, you know, how would we be positive in this new time? But kind of what would you recommend based off the previous waves and what we experienced and now going forward? Okay. I think firstly, we need to 
as individuals and as communities, do a self-assessment. Ask yourself, how are you coping with this pandemic? What's going well for you? What's not going well? You know, the, the old question. Uh, are you irritable? Are you shopping excessively online? Are you addicted to internet porn? Are you abusing substances or alcohol as a way of coping with the restrictions and so forth? If the answer to any of those questions is yes, then, then obviously you need to do something to, to uh, improve your coping. Are you finding yourself excessively irritable or depressed or very anxious? Um, then they, they are um, signals that, okay, this is a difficult time, but maybe it's time to start thinking about ways of improving one's coping strategies. And that might involve simply returning to things that you might have done early on during the pandemic, like regularly going for walks or setting a schedule um, and so forth. So those are important things. And I think it's important to realize that, that it is a difficult time. This is not easy. Um, we're, we're set up with something in the animal learning literature that's called frustrative non-reward. We were expecting or uh, indeed promised in some ways that the pandemic would be over in the summer. Uh, I just saw a, a recent uh, headline that Dina Hinshaw from Alberta apologized for suggesting that the pandemic might be ending uh, in the summertime. So people were expecting that. Here's the frustrative non-reward bit. You're expecting a treat. You're expecting the pandemic to be over for lockdown to be rescinded and for social activities to resume as normal. You're expecting that reward. It doesn't happen. You get a uh, recurrent wave, more lockdowns. People get grumpy, irritable, and start looking around for someone to blame. So I think it's important for us to all to recognize that reaction that could occur in ourselves. It's a natural reaction. And to just to step back and, and look at that and say, okay, I'm stressed out about this frustrating situation. The best I can do is to try not to make it worse for myself. So implement those coping strategies. And there are some nice online resources and phone apps. If you search for cognitive behavior therapy or cognitive behavioral interventions, you can find those online for a whole host of problems like insomnia, addictions, anxiety, depression, and so forth. And if those don't work, and if connecting with friends and family doesn't work, then I, I suggest you go and see your family doctor or go to student health, for example, to get a referral to a mental health practitioner. Because if you are suffering from psychological problems during COVID, on the one hand, it's understandable, but on the other hand, there, there is help available. And on that note, thank you so much, Dr. Taylor, for our insightful conversation today that exposed us to a side of the pandemic that we rarely kind of talk about outwardly. If you want to learn more about his work, check out his books and articles at drstephentaylor.com.